Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Moorcroft Means Business Podcast. Moorcroft, for those who don't know, are a niche law firm based in the Thames Valley. We look after corporate advice, commercial advice, technology advice, commercial property, and employment law. And we act for businesses across the Thames Valley and beyond. My name's Matt Jenkin. I'm the employment partner at Moorcrofts, and we're going to be looking today and talking about the government's response to the consultation, health is everyone's business, which came out in the summer. The focus is very much on reducing ill health related job losses. And I think despite its importance, potentially, it was rather overlooked by the media and, and businesses generally. And I'm delighted to be joined to discuss the response to the consultation by Steve Herbert. Steve, for those of you who don't know, he's the head of benefits strategy at Howden Employee Benefits and Wellbeing, very much a thought leader, an industry expert on pensions and employee benefits. And I know this is a topic that we've discussed on a number of occasions. Certainly it's, it's topics that we've both spoken about at the always excellent Howden um, employment webinar and seminar programmes. And anyone who's not attending those, I suggest you, you get onto that because they're, they're excellent. And this is the type of stuff that we talk about on a regular basis. So welcome, Steve. Hello. And, and yes, I, I would just like to take that plug and say, yes, please do sign up for the Howden Employment Webinars, although we just had one in the last week as we're speaking now. Well, no, uh, I, I, you say, I, I know it's stuff that we talked about. I remember speaking at one, it must be a couple of years ago now, where was it Dame Carol Black was there talking about things like fit notes and occupational absolutely. health and all those things. So it was slightly reminiscent of some of the stuff that she was saying when I was, when I was reading through the, the response. Well, certainly the health is everyone business consultation, which, as you quite rightly say, came out originally, was back in July 2019, so two years ago, and understandably got delayed by the pandemic. But it really just builds on the work that Dame Carroll was doing in a report back in 2008 and another one from the government, which I think was 2014, which is all around this reducing ill health related job losses and indeed just making people better and healthier at work. I don't think just to sort of spike the guns of the rest of this interview, I don't think necessarily this consultation achieves that. There are some good stuff that you and I will talk about, but I don't think necessarily it's going to make a great dent in ill health related job losses. But there are some items that we can pick out of it at least. It's a good point, that's Stephen. I think that's perhaps why it hasn't quite received the traction in terms of publicity, because actually there isn't a huge amount in it in terms of tangible changes that, that we're going to see. But I think, you know, there's certainly some really interesting items that, that are worth discussing, perhaps some as much for what they've decided they're not going to change as to, to what they decide they are going to change, which probably brings me on to the first topic, which was statutory sick pay reform. Now, Steve, you and I have both spoken about this. Statutory sick pay is a pretty blunt instrument in terms of dealing with employee absence, not least from my perspective, because of the relatively low rates of statutory sick pay and there's been a long kind of thought I think that statutory sick pay needs to be reformed and I think in the consultation paper they were talking about various reforms including being able to use it on a phased return which you can't use at the moment because it's fairly either you come back or you're absent it's, it, it, it's binary currently certainly yeah yeah absolutely and also changing lower earning limits 
but actually the government's decided they're not going to do anything with this at all, which I suppose isn't surprising. And they say they're not doing it because of the pandemic and, and it's the wrong time, which begs the question, when would be the right time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I have to be honest and very blunt, was a, a massive exercise in kicking the can down the road. That there, there is no more relevant time to talk about SSB than now, because during the pandemic, particularly last year, in the very early stages of that, before we had the support of the CJRS and all of that, during the pandemic, it became very, very obvious, I think to everyone, on all sides of the political spectrum, on all sides of employment, that actually SSP doesn't do its job uh, and wasn't doing its job. And compared, as you quite rightly say, against you know other nations across Europe and the Western world, it's really quite poor as well. I mean, it's very difficult to see how people can survive on SSP. So not doing anything, not reviewing it now does seem like a massive oversight. I think it will have to be reviewed. And in view of the recent cabinet changes, maybe that's something that will be accelerated before the next election now, because it does seem to be a, a point of concern for all concerned. Yeah, it'd be interesting for me to see whether this idea of a government subsidy for SMEs in terms of being able to recover elements of SSP from the government will continue because we've had that with the coronavirus and the pandemic kind of reaction because there is an ability I think it's going to end as at the end of September but for employed SMEs to recover some elements of statutory sick pay that they pay to their employees but I can't see there's going to be any appetite for that continuing and I'd be surprised if we get fundamental reform although this kind of I think they are going to have to look at the way in which statutory sick pay is is used because as we both see we it's not a great way of getting people not necessarily back to work because in some ways it's a great way of get, getting people back to work because they come back because they can't afford to be off but it's not a good way of actually securing healthy people to come back to work in those circumstances in my view absolutely and as some of the cases I've, I've spoken about and written about over the last 18 months or so have been driven you know if you like i don't mean this rudely to the employers concerned because they were where they were but cases of bad practice where SSP were driving people back into workplaces that really shouldn't have been there and has led to more infections, more illness, and sadly, in one or two very notable cases, deaths of employees as well. And that was all because SSP wasn't anywhere near what it needed to be. So I think it's going to have to be reviewed, but it's quite clear that it's not going to be reviewed just yet. <laughs> yes, I, I, as you say, I think it's just, if, if you read, when I read the consultation paper, it seemed to be making the case for reform really well. And then almost the kind of the conclusion is two lines that says, well, we're not going to do anything about it now. So I think I think reform, hopefully the appetite for reform is there. So we're not seeing any changes to statutory sick pay at the moment. The report then went on or the, the response then went on to tackle occupational health, which I know is something we've talked about at length before, Steve. And what were your thoughts about about kind of occupational health when you read the report? Well, personally, I thought the report as far as occupational health went, the report didn't really know what occupational health was. And it captured so many things that it could have been in there that actually it rather lost its focus. Uh, and I still think occupational health, when done well, is a fantastic tool. But as I think you and I both know, and uh, a colleague we both have, Charlie Vivian, who's excellent in this field, there are very few, in my opinion, occupational health specialists that really strike the right balance between the employer and the employee. And that's where the, the crucial part of that service comes. And I really don't think the report, unless you read it differently to me, actually nailed what occupational health was. 
So if you don't know exactly what it is, it's very difficult to see how you're going to use it as a tool to keep people in work. I agree. I thought it was a little bit all over the place on occupational health. And I agree with you that occupational health used properly is a tremendous tool to get people back to work and benefit to employees and employers. And you mentioned Charlie Vivian. And if people want to go back, Charlie's actually on a, an older episode of the podcast, giving us the YMCA of getting the best out of occupational health, which is, which is always a great, a great listen when Charlie talks about that. I thought it, it reminded me a little bit, Steve, of when we had the Fit for Work scheme that was introduced all those years ago, because I can remember talking at some of your seminars about the Fit for Work scheme. But that was abolished back in ooh, 2018, I think. But it yeah, just looked it, like they were revisiting that a little bit. I mean, Fit for Work, I, genuinely, I thought was one of the best ideas that we've had in the employment landscape for the last decade. It came out of a report, was supported by the then coalition government, then got watered down as the coalition government came towards election time, and then got quietly dropped off the radar straight after, I think it must have been when David Cameron won the, the full majority, for whatever reason. And it was never funded at a level that it needed to be funded at. But the idea of really supporting people back quickly into the workplace, making interventions and, and doing all of that was an excellent idea. And certainly the, the tests, the case studies, if you like, earlier in the last decade showed really good success rates of getting people back. So early intervention does make a difference. But the government, for whatever reason, let that one drift away. And although, again, you're quite right, they sort of made the case for that again, but without saying that's what we're going to do. So I would like to see the return of something similar to Fit for Work, albeit adequately funded. I think the big problem with Fit for Work was to return all the people across the country quickly to the workplace. I think there was a 30 million total fund, which is nothing. I mean, it's, it's pin money, as we've seen in, in the course of the last year or so. Uh, and of course, that wasn't going to go anywhere towards achieving the results. So if the government wants to go there again, they're going to have to go there and they're going to have to put some serious cash in. But the return is, if you can get people that are off ill, and the longer people are off ill, the more likely they won't return to work. If you can get those people back into the workplace quickly, it's good for them, good for their families, good for the employer and good for the state. So we do need to get there, but it's quite clear at the moment that this particular consultation isn't going to be the, the moment that happens. And I don't think from reading the consultation paper that they want that they want to go that far. As you say, that fit to work service should, should have worked really well had it been resourced, because effectively that idea of a, almost a state sponsored occupational health scheme providing for early intervention and support for employers and employees would have been great. But the funding, as I think we both said at the time, was wholly inadequate and was never going to was, was never going to work. Sadly, that that proved to be the case. I did see within the consultation paper though they're run, they're going to run some pilot projects on providing financial support to some employers to access occupational health and to see what benefits that brings. And you know, I, I think from my perspective, I think it will show that if employers can, can access good quality occupational health, it will improve. The return rates of employees but you know certainly encouraging use of occupational health is great but i think it needs to go a little bit beyond that yeah and that's i mean certainly if we sort of jump slightly ahead possibly we'll come back to it again in a minute but if you look at the early intervention services that are provided with group income protection uh, we will come back to this what that clearly shows is if you make the interventions early enough if you make them adequately funded and, and relevant people come back earlier 
yeah, there are always going to be some people that can't return. We know that. It's horrible, but it's true. But the vast majority of people probably can be helped through and out the other side as long as we intervene early. Uh, and that's where we probably need to be as a country, but it's, it seems to be some way off just at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. And I don't think you, know, you, you can signpost people towards these things as much as possible but unless the support is actually there i don't think it fundamentally changes matters so as well as making some suggestions kind of in very broad terms about what occupational health could do i thought perhaps one of the most interesting things in the report and i don't know what your view is it's comments on footnotes not least because that wasn't the purpose of the original consultation but clearly footnotes and their usage caused i think most most people who responded made some comment on it and I think that kind of isn't surprising to me because I don't think fit notes, sick notes, as perhaps they were previously referred to from, you know, from the GP are working at the moment. And, and I know that's probably a view, having spoken to you before, you've got similar views. Absolutely. I mean, I particularly like that to be, I've got, I've got the quote in front of me. <laughs> well, it actually said in the consultation, although not specifically consulted on, many respondents took the opportunity to highlight the importance of the role of fit notes i.e. a lot of people said this really isn't working and wanted to have a good old moan about it. So it wasn't part of the consultation, but it probably is, for my money, one of the two areas that come out of it with some value. Fitnotes, for those who don't know the, the torted history of Fitnotes, uh, if you go back to before 2010, uh, in the UK, we had a system of sick notes. And sick notes were a very binary outcome. You were either able to go to work or you were not able to go to work. There was no grey area in the middle. And as a result, it was often abused and indeed the sick note system actually became a sort of figure of fun almost uh, situation comedies and stand-up comics and whatever were forever taking the mick out of sick notes now what dame carol black and we mentioned her earlier and she's a big driver in this way she really is dame carol black came to the conclusion back in 2008 that what we needed were fit notes which weren't so binary so either you couldn't work or you could work or you could work if there were some interventions to get you back some adjustments to the workplace or whatever. And I suppose a great example would be right now. Uh, I mean, for example, I've got quite a bad leg at the moment, had it for a few months now. And actually going in and out of London and those sort of things is actually a bit of a challenge at the moment. But delivering a podcast or a webinar is fine. So the adjustment for me will be well, at the moment work at home. And that's true of so many other people that a small adjustment can make a difference. So that's what it was all about. But as I think we both accept, it hasn't happened. Uh, and as a lot of employers tell us, it hasn't happened over the last 10 years. Uh, and that's for all sorts of reasons. But the biggest single one is, I suspect, that the GPs who are required to say what the employee could do with the right adjustments don't have the time, don't have the expertise, don't have the knowledge of the workplace, and why should they have? And most importantly, their primary relationship is between them and their patient, quite rightly so. And therefore, they are pretty much going to be guided by their patient, not by the employer's needs. So is that a good summary of where we are? Oh, no, I think that's a really good summary because it picks up the two, a couple of issues that I see on a practical basis when I'm advising my clients when they're dealing with absence issues and we're, we're looking at fit notes is, is that when they are giving kind of suggestions, well, they, they may be fit to, to work and they'll put something like with amended duties no real explanation as to what those amended duties would look like and that creates frustration because you then have you know you're going back to the employee and saying well what amended duties and 
that that can become a little bit not confrontational, but a little bit drawn out process. So I think I, I think that's a frustration, and also this idea. I think that as you say, the relationship is with the the doctor and the the employee. They're going to be taking on board what the employee says, and that you know that doesn't mean it's inaccurate what they've been told, but it's without any input from the employer. And so I I think they do need to be reformed because at the moment they don't really provide any value and. Normally, if someone's signed off for any length of time, my advice is ignore what the fit note says and go and get an occupational health report because that'll be that'll be more instructive. Absolutely, and and the, that's where it falls down. And if you again, if you roll back, and I can't remember the name of the report, and I think it was 2014, but part of that report then said, okay, look, fit notes is a great idea, and I think everyone, again, on all sides of the employment debate, accepts that fit notes are a great idea. We, we, we're all there. Nothing wrong with the, the concept. But they said back then, we need to make this digital, we need to make this more reactive, so actually more medical professionals can sign this stuff, so it's not just a family doctor. We need to actually give some proper guidance to employers, and none of it really seems to have happened in the interim sort of six, seven years. Now, the last 18 months, that's probably acceptable. The previous six years, probably not. And we need to get there. Uh, now, the, the, the major outcome, I thought, from the footnote section of the report was the last bullet point, really, which was... And we're going to consult with employers about it. And I think that's got to be the way forward. If employers want this to work, and I think most employers do, if employers can see the value potentially of fit notes, and again, I think most do, then it's important that we all get together and that when that consultation comes out, and I don't know when that will be, and make that voice really, really heard. Because it's a very simple bit. If we can get fit notes right, the rest of managing absence becomes that much easier. But the, the moment you get it wrong from outset, the moment you don't catch illnesses in time, the moment you don't adjust things, the chance of losing your job through your health becomes much higher. The chance of being off for a very long period of time becomes much higher. So we need to get that bit right. It's a fundamental building stone, a building block, and we, we're not there yet. No, I agree. And I think anything that can be done to kind of improve them is going to be, is going to be much appreciated. And also just some guidance for perhaps employers as to when they receive them as well. In that sometimes I think employers, once they receive a fit note, think that's it. We can't talk to the employee at all because they've yeah. been signed off. And actually that should then create a dialogue in terms of, well, what can we do to help you come back understanding their condition a little bit more? But I think I think it will be incumbent on all employers. And I'm look, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what the shape of that consultation paper is so we can actually have some proper input and perhaps make some long lasting and, 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 and beneficial changes to it absolutely the, the last piece that, that I, I read with a smile on my, on my face and I immediately thought of you when, when I read the consultation <laughs> paper was that they really do talk about now the benefits of insurance products in dealing with ill health now I know you're far more qualified than, than, than I am to talk about that but it's things as I understand it like income protection the PHI scheme things like that so do you think there's going to be more emphasis on the insurance industry now to, to provide some of these solutions well let's take the positive and the positive is this is the first time in my career and i've had a very very long career in employee benefits uh, this is the first time i've actually seen some overt support from the government for group income protection indeed if you roll back 10 years certainly back to the 2008 report it was quite clear that politicians didn't even know what it was much less what it could potentially do. And that was still clear uh, back in the middle of the last decade. But there has been a great deal of work by all sorts of people within the industry to try and educate politicians largely on what it does. Because unless they understand the chances of this becoming more mainstream 
and being more widely promoted is quite low. And it's great that actually they did say, and I've got again, I've got the quote in front of me, albeit slightly truncated, uh, group income protection policies offer one way for employers of all sizes, and that's important, to access a range of expert-led support as well as the provision of income. Now, group income protection, let's not beat around the bush, it is essentially an insured product to protect the income of the employee if they're off long-term ill. Check. That's what it does. It does it very well. But the big change has been over the last 20 years or so that increasingly all the major providers, clearly they're insurance companies, they don't want to pay the claim if they really don't have to. They're not going to avoid paying the claim, but they don't want to pay the claim. So they're very keen to intervene to actually act, if you like, as occupational health free of charge, very early in the case, to try and get that person back to work before the claim arises or back to work quickly after the claim has arisen. And it works. I mean, there's stacks of evidence now from the likes of Canada Life and Newnham and the rest saying, yes, we can do this. We can intervene. It won't cost the employer anything. It won't cost the employee anything. And it helps. And the fact that the government have finally acknowledged that is a huge step forward. That is as far as the step goes. There doesn't seem to be any encouragement in terms of tax breaks or in direct encouragement to employers. But it's something to hang our hat on and to say to employers, look, it's now recognised that this is something worth looking at. I thought that was a positive step. And as I say, I think it's really useful reminds people, those, as you say, those movement and protection policies that insurers don't want to pay out. And that's understandable They're in business. It's not, and it's, sorry, I qualify that. They'll pay out in circumstances where they, where they cover and they're really good and quick at doing that I've got to say my experience of but actually it makes sense for them doesn't it if they can intervene early enough so that actually that payment point isn't isn't triggered and I know there's lots of support that they offer that's way beyond just that traditional employee assistance you know kind of hotline they are looking at, uh, at making that more attractive so but as you t- I suppose it was good to have that kind of, you know, validation of those products in, in the consultation. But as you say, no real support, though, for particularly small employers to put it in place, because I think the perception is it's, it's a huge cost and only the, the big employers would look at it. Yeah, I, I think that I think cost has been a barrier for it all the way through and probably wrongly now. And it has been probably an incorrect assumption for some years now. If you look at group life assurance, uh, which obviously does what it says on the on the tin, you know, if, if an employee dies, they're, they're covered for life cover. Group life assurance is provided by about one in three, or to, to about one in three employees in the UK, whereas group income protection is about one in 12. So it's a much, much lower coverage. But that was because the cost was perceived as being very expensive. And that's because the benefit used to be not just a Rolls-Royce, but a gold Rolls-Royce benefit. So if somebody went off age 25, covered by group income protection, and they can never come back to work, well, that benefit will continue normally through to state pension age. So the insurance company will be paying out maybe 75% of someone's salary for 40 years. Now, that's obviously a massive, massive risk, clearly, compared to a group life insurance scheme, which probably pays out four times of someone's salary once. And that's it. So the risk was high, and therefore the cost was higher. But over the years, it's become understood uh, that there is a much easier business case to be made of saying, well, you don't need to pay someone for 40 years. Let's limit it for five years or seven years or 10 years. Still a great benefit, still much better they can get off their own back and lowers the cost and risk massively as a result. So some of it is about cost, but they've got all these bells and whistles added onto it now. So you've got, yes, the early intervention stuff, but you've also got, as you right, say, employee assistance plans, remote GP appointments, bereavement counselling, all sorts of things are in there thrown in for free 
alongside the premium. And it almost makes it a no-brainer now, as long as employers set up the thing up right at the first place. Uh, I see that as a kind of real positive development. You know, I think for employers who are who are looking at putting that in place, I, I always think kind of like group income protection should be one of the, st- it's just a pot the building block now of how you deal with absence and sickness and illness within the workplace. I think it's it's, it's something that, that people should be looking at because I think people will be surprised perhaps as to the cost. And also it's that added support that goes with it. It's not just the payment at the end. It's the, can we get them back to work quickly? Yeah. Um, which, which is a benefit to everyone. So I think it's something that just should be more widely available. And it's just, it's, it's, it's never really been promoted enough. So this is something, this, this helps. Yeah. But the industry now needs to be telling people loudly and clearly on a regular basis that the government recognises you should recognise it as well now because it's not expensive and it carries benefits for everyone. I agree. So, Steve, in, in, in kind of, I suppose, drawing all those threads together, my take on it was that without going back, and, and I know you probably will have done, but without going back and carrying out an analysis of all the other consultation papers, apart from a couple of bits and pieces, potentially reform of fit notes, it kind of just felt to me like we've been here before. <laughs> um, I, I think, and uh, I think you and I said that, and as need a couple of other people I know quite well, underwhelmed was my yeah. initial reaction. And indeed, the, the two points we've just spoken about there, they were in the final chapter. They were not even really the consultation. So the, the other five chapters, essentially, there wasn't any great traction in. But, you know, if we can pick bits and bobs out and at least progress that, that's something. Uh, but it's it's certainly a consultation that needs to be revisited and certainly had a, a bit more of a boot behind it, I think. Yeah, I almost wish that because a lot of it seemed to be a theme running through it about this has all been impacted by the pandemic. Which and I'm true. just wondering yeah. whether had they delayed it and explained they were delaying it so they could kind of get over that issue and actually look at it in a kind of post-pandemic world, I think maybe it would have had the benefit of that. But yeah. I, say, I was just surprised that it came out. I'd, I'd probably forgotten that they, would, they were due to release a response. I, I think everyone had forgotten they were due to release a response. And that's why I wonder why they did, almost. It, it, yeah. it, seemed, it seemed like a token gesture. So it's going to have to be done again, I, I think, is, is the summary. It's a question of how they, how they build that up and uh, where, the, where they start on that. All right, that's a good point. Well, Steve, thanks, thank, thanks for your comment on that. Thanks for, thanks for your input. Hopefully that's been a, a really useful guide through the consultation paper. And as I say, things to look out for and things that aren't going to change. So as I say, this is typical of the sort of stuff that I know Steve regularly presents on. So I'll put a link to, to, to Steve's profile below. And, and, and you know, do follow him on LinkedIn because he produces loads of really useful content. And as I say, do... <laughs> and some that isn't, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could say the same of me, couldn't you? So, but 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 also, you know, again, a big plug for the Howden webinar. We we just done a we just done one which you know went really well. You know, and these are the sort of things that I know the participants and attendees are really interested in hearing about. So, hopefully, that's been a help. So, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Matt.